Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 31, the one about video marketing essentials, productivity tips, AI cameras, and the horror film, Us. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back for more news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me is a man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast, and the host of the Roger Vlog video series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Hello, everybody. And my co-host is also a man on a mission, this time to demystify digital marketing. Is the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. I give you Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much, Roger. This is episode 31, which I do believe is another fine prime number. Forgive me, viewers and listeners, it's just my thing. I had to learn prime numbers by heart when I was at French school, and they stuck with me forever. Thank you also to some of our well wishes. We've had some messages, Roger, this week. Uh, you saw one recently, actually, on Twitter. So the you know, charming Pete Everett, the host of the Retain.fm podcast and the founder of SEO Hive, left a message saying, uh, very much today was enjoying listening to the Two Geeks and Marketing podcast. Definitely one of my regular listens. So big thank you to you, Pete. We also got a thank you from Rosie Purr from Entrepreneur.com. You may remember she was one of the um, content spotlights in one of our recent episodes. She's saying, thank you very much, a valuable and insightful episode. We also heard back from David Brand from Wandry, you know, the host of Business Wards, who gave us a wonderful comment saying, what a fun series exploring the intersection of marketing and content creation. Lots to learn from you guys in this series. So thank you very much. And finally, we've got a thank you from Nicole Osborne. You have both such brilliant chemistry in addition to valuable and entertaining insights you share. You are legends. Well, if you go, Roger, we are legends. <laughs> wow. And I think Pete called us gentlemen as well, didn't he? Crikey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my headphones, I, I, my head's starting to burst out the side of my headphones. But seriously, thank you so much for all that great feedback. We really do appreciate it. So let's begin with In the News. Nearly one in five UK consumers are now pure streamers, with the number of people watching traditional TV becoming increasingly lower, according to Audience Project. Well, IMRG Capgemini released their online retail results for January, revealing that UK online sales grew 74% year-on-year for January this year, with mobile e-commerce sales soaring 169%. TikTok has become the first digital entertainment platform ever to sponsor UEFA Euro 2020 and is promising a range of exciting features including AR effects, hashtag challenges and TikTok lives. Holiday companies have reported an instant surge in bookings after the Prime Minister outlined the UK's lockdown's exit plan, with EasyJet recording a whopping 630% boost in holiday sales. Talkshop Live, a live stream commerce platform used by over 3,000 small businesses, has raised $3 million in seed funding to be invested into assisting more sellers to create live shows. Well, according to TechRadar.com, Microsoft is launching a free website builder with a new service able to import content from Facebook to create your website quickly. 
Old processes and outdated digital knowledge continue to hinder efficiency and digital transformation, according to the e-consultancy and Adobe Digital Trends 2021 survey. Finally, the laughing cow, the cheese brand from the Bell Group, is celebrating its 100th anniversary with a website that lets people record and share their laughs for charity. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) The laughing cow. That's fantastic. Didn't somebody write a book once called The Purple Cow? Probably Seth Godin. It is Seth Godin indeed. So are you, I mean, I I must confess that the cheese itself, the laughing cow, I, I don't like at all. Uh, but I know it well. I mean, it was called um, in the French version, La Vache Kiri was obviously the French version because the Bell Group is French, from if memory serves. But uh, um, my younger brother, Yannick, used to love it and used to eat it all the time. He used to complain about the what I would describe as you know the awful smell and so on and so forth. But um, what a success story, 100 years. And I'm going to argue, probably known worldwide as well. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of, uh, of of just getting them to record people's laughs. It it reminds me of, as you know, I grew up in Blackpool, Pascal, and on Blackpool Pleasure Beach, which is this great big sort of fun fair, they had something called the Laughing Man, and basically it was a clown inside like a a, a glass um, sort of showcase, and it was basically just this clown laughing all the time like <laughs> and it moves around and people would stare and watch it for hours and it was mesmerizing so i can imagine that if you listen to whatever it is they're putting together here with all this laughing it's going to be really funny and i bet you won't be able to stop yourself from bursting out laughing as well but you know, it, it is said that it is the best medicine, and mm. some of the best videos are actually, particularly babies. You know, when they have those fits of laughter. <laughs> I mean, it's just, just you know, absolutely wonderful. Can I quickly ask whether you are already or are becoming a pure streamer, Monsieur Edwards? Do you know? Um, I think we are pretty much almost there being pure pure streamers we tend to watch the majority of our tv now is netflix or amazon prime and i'm thinking about the bbc you know apart from doctor who and master chef uh and and the richard osman show Mm. uh, that's pretty much it from bbc you know i don't feel as if i'm getting my money's worth from the bbc anymore pretty much all is uh, is netflix and amazon prime we're the same, so we're very much Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, and BBC iPlayer, uh, mm-hmm. interestingly. Uh, talking of Disney Plus, uh, this week as we're recording this episode, the Star uh, Channel has now been released, so we actually are looking at watching some of the 24 uh, series as well as a few other things. But very quickly, so within those news, which is kind of interesting, people are looking back at 2020 and sales performance, but in this idea of sales doing really well in January, of this year compared to 2020 and mobile e-commerce sales doing well. The reason why this was kind of highlighted as as a news item is because historically January is always a poor month for sale. And this year, consumers, all of us are are bucking the trend. And that add on to that, obviously in February, the, um, the announcement from the prime minister where people are now um, creating, I suppose, something to look forward to by booking holidays for August onwards, um, because two operators are also, if you remember, Roger, offering the ability to change at no extra fees you know, within the next two years. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, Pascal, 
I would del- I would be delighted to go on holiday. You know, I, I I watch quite a lot of travel vloggers on 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 YouTube, and most of these travel vloggers haven't been able to travel as you would expect. And the thought of going on a and sitting on a beach and sipping a cocktail and having the sun on my face is 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 just heavenly. Or or the thought of just turning up in a a European city like Paris or Vienna or something like that and wandering around in the sunshine, I would love to do it. But I'm not sure I'm there yet. I, you know, I, I was staggered by this figure, 630% increase in sales of EasyJet flights. I, I don't know yet whether I am confident that we'll be out of it by the summer. And I just genuinely don't want to risk getting into that cycle of having bought a flight or booked a holiday and constantly having to reshift it to a later date to avoid the cancellation charges so whilst a lot of people obviously are desperate to get away and i'm one of them i i still haven't got the confidence to click the uh the buy button yet on a holiday no we're the same and in a way on reflection this uh, percentage figure 630 percent uh, if you start from nothing then anything you know makes that figure <laughs> exactly. yeah, artificially you know quite large but i think it was just this um, this idea of how certainly from the announcement there's a uh, consumer behavior that is dictated talking of consumer behavior i was really interested by this news about you know talk a uh, talk shop live mm-hmm. i wonder whether this is just one example of what we're going to see now which is a more specialist you know perhaps lesser known brands offering live streaming to makers and and producers of products as well as resellers and are we going to see people maybe saying you know what uh, i've had um, a bit of a player i've experimented with uh, facebook live or instagram live but they're still lacking the real kind of uh, features for me to engage with uh, consumers so i'm going to go elsewhere are we going to see more examples like talk shop live coming coming on online yeah i think there's mo- there's more and more people interested in doing live um, broadcasts and i think the problem is you and I, we do, we create and we go live so frequently that it's become second nature to us. And we therefore think that everybody can do it. But we know that some people struggle with technology. Some people just don't like the way they look on screen. Some people um, might just not feel confident enough to press the button themselves uh, and so I think what they'll they recognize the, the the genuine power that it can bring to their brands but they genuinely need help in the same way as you know people need help putting together promotional advertising or creativity around PowerPoint presentations I guess a whole industry will build up around this whole thing because you know we, we've said lockdown might be coming to an end hopefully in the summer but I think that online and video is going to be a way of life forever now. So more and more people are going to have to become comfortable somehow. Yes, and then I'm going to use that as a link to TikTok and becoming a sponsor of Euro 2020. It feels like a perfect match in terms of the audience, in terms of the interface that is TikTok. In particular, as you mentioned, they're going to introduce AR effects, hashtag changes, and the TikTok live reviews as well, potentially talking to fans or talking to the players and so on. Yeah, I mean, again, TikTok, don't really use it that much. I've tried to do a few videos. Um, I'm just not into this dancing stuff that goes on. <laughs> a lot of the videos on TikTok seem to me people dancing around and 
making prats of themselves in gardens and pointing up there and then a piece of text appear and then pointing here and a piece of text appear. But apparently people like that and, and, and you can get thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers by doing that sort of thing. So, yep, yeah, fine. It's, it's obviously a platform that works for some people. And I think you can just imagine in terms of uh, almost, you know, that kind of gamification where you could have people saying, well, try this, um, you know, football trick, for example, because I know that on TikTok, that's what people do. Someone starts a dance or they start a stunt or they start uh, sometimes even something that is linked to arts and craft and then others copy and send their, their, their videos out there. What I will say about TikTok, having now cleared all the nonsense, it has become a lovely place to go for relaxation and entertainment. Some of those creators and some of those, uh, and some of them are famous, or those are just you know normal people like you and I. I will say, if you could spend a quarter of an hour just smiling and looking at you know how creative they are, it's actually quite a pleasant platform altogether. Oh, there's some very, very clever um, effects going on and some very, very entertaining clips, I have to say. I just haven't worked out how to do it for myself yet. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you again for you know ch checking out the news with us. But let's move on on the subject of content creation to our content spotlights. In this segment, Roger and I surprise each other with a find from the interweb, an article, a podcast, a video, something that helps us reflect on what it means to be a content marketer. So, Roger, what have you got for us this week? Okay, Pascal, I've got an article for you. It's from the Entrepreneur website, and the title of the article is Four Ways Writing a Book Will Transform You, and it's written by Pushpendra Mehta. Now, as you would expect, having recently published my own book, the heading of the article absolutely grabbed my attention. And I guess selfishly, initially, my thought was, oh, four ways writing a book will transform you. Let's see if those four things in the article have actually happened to me as an author, having uh, recently published Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. So that's the entire reason why I picked this particular piece of I content, like it a lot. You know, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, obviously, why writing a book is a powerful marketing and differentiating conduit for, for entrepreneurs. Maybe if I give you a little bit of background, Pascal, the reason that I wrote Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans uh, my book wasn't that I thought that I was going to sell millions and millions of copies and it's been out for three months now and I can absolutely assure you that I haven't sold millions and millions of copies. I'm happy with the number of sales that I've made but the whole reason for writing the book initially was it was going to be a grand calling card to support my speaking and support the training that I give people, the webinars, the, the hopefully eventually again in-person sessions, helping people to put together marketing strategies. So with that in mind, the four things that uh, Pushpendra talks about are as follows. So the first thing is a book enables you to differentiate yourself effectively. Now, I think that's absolutely right because you know there are lots of marketing consultants out there there are lots of marketing speakers out there and a lot of us are content creators but not everybody has a book and I think that having a book is a good way of standing out possibly it's because it takes 
a lot more um, concentration and, and a bit more effort to focus on putting together a book, I guess. Even if you've got the material, you've still got to put it together. You've got to get it edited. You've got to get it out there. So it is something that you can use to differentiate yourselves from others in your field. And it, the, the, the example he gave in this article is actually really interesting. He talks about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, who was actually a doctor and he originally started writing Sherlock Holmes according to this article as a way of differentiating himself from other doctors he was a doctor that wrote stories and he tried to combine his love of medicine and his uh, uh, into those detective stories and obviously there's that uh, that that element of detection and element of um i can't think of the word now it's pathology i guess built into quite a lot of uh, the sherlock holmes stories so definitely a way of being able to differentiate yourself secondly and this one is so true this is so true secondly a book will force you to walk the walk now what that means is now i've written a book about how to keep marketing simple and i go on and on and on as i do on this show about how it's important it is to be simple with your strategy simple with your language and simple with your content and now that book is out there you know i can never do anything that's complicated i will be pulled up if i use complicated language i will be pulled up if i do really really stupidly complicated strategy so by writing a book it's you're almost defining the boundaries that you are impo- you've imposed upon yourself uh which i hadn't really thought of before but it's absolutely right isn't it third a book can help the entrepreneur go international and I guess that's this is probably the wrong time to to start thinking about that given what we've already said about lockdown and and not being able to travel anywhere. I, my speaking career did have a boost a couple of years ago where I all of a sudden managed to get myself invited to speak at conferences in mainly Eastern Europe and I always put that down to creating videos. Um but I do think that if I look at my Amazon sales off the book so far, I think about 60% of those sales are from the UK and the rest of it is from US and throughout Europe. So there's definitely evidence that writing a book gets you consumed beyond your country of origin. So again, good good tips coming from uh, from here. And the final one, and this this won't be news to any content creators really, a book can provide you with multiple streams, not only of content creation, but of income. So yes, you've got your book, but you could then turn the, the, the book into a course. So even though my book takes people through a process of how to put together a marketing strategy, but, but just by reading the book isn't going to actually make them do that. So I could take it further and create a course around it, maybe build some accountability into it, and, and that would give me an income stream on top of the book. Obviously, loads of different articles could come out of the book. Case studies of companies that have followed my process could become a, 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 a different series of um, podcasts or something like that. So really interesting, and having read the article, 
I definitely think that all four of those apply. The international travel one, we'll see <laughs> once we get back. And uh, hopefully I'll be sat on an easy jet flight to uh, somewhere nice and exotic before too long. But, but yeah, four ways to prove that writing a book for entrepreneurs, content creators, consultants, whatever you are, definitely worth thinking about. And if you've been at this game for a number of years, you've probably got the material. It's just a question of putting your mind to it and actually putting that material into words. What a fine selection, Roger. Really, really thank you for that. And and the other thing as well that this article reminds me of, which I know you shared because um, I was I did interview you uh, once the book was published to understand actually your journey from just having an idea to having a, a published book. And this idea of creating a book that is also for you and that does good to you as opposed to just think about the audience and of course you know what you may get on a commercial basis but this idea of that is almost like a breakthrough moment where you could become better professional for it because your thinking is refined because you could go back to it because also you held held to account and also out of the book as you mentioned a moment ago new ideas may come in the form of courses or extensions such as uh, e-downloads and so on so and i think to your point is that you know maybe people need to start to commit to a regular blog series, not necessarily a book or a regular podcast series or regular video series where they start to really express and communicate what they stand for and see where that takes you. Because I think this activity of capturing you know, where you are at this moment in time as a professional, which leads to a clearer maybe ways in which you can express your service or deliver your service, I think it's, it, it's part of what we can do uh, as a positive thing to ourselves. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, it took me over two years to write and publish, and 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 the the pandemic did slow me down. And there were times, Pascal, you know, I I I didn't do anything on it for a month. And there were times when I thought, you know, I just don't know whether I'm going to carry on with this. But it's out there, and I'm proud of it. And it absolutely does what this article says it would do. So I'm so pleased that I carried on and got it done. Excellent. So, well, for my part, I've gone for a article again, although you can argue that it's perhaps a resource. The title is The Essential Guide to Video Marketing. It was written by a lady called Kendall Walters for Vidyard. Vidyard is the uh, video marketing platform that people might know. Interestingly, Kendall has since moved on, is working for Hootsuite. So, you know, we wish her the, the very best there. And I tend not to go for this type of articles because sometimes you feel like, well, it's a bit clickbaity or is it really a guide? But then when you look at how much depth she's gone into and how thorough the information is, it does qualify as a guide and indeed potentially the essential guide. And the reason why I think uh, it was on kind of my radar is because I've been working a lot recently on a one-to-one, one-to-few coaching basis around video marketing. So I think I was in the zone and I spotted this you know as part of my kind of travels uh, on the internet so it is a very comprehensive guide uh, Roger and I would really encourage people to follow the link on our show notes it covers everything from what is video marketing give you a definition it talks about the benefits it gives you then strategy it talks about storytelling it goes to different types of videos it goes even as far as optimizing for the web and using analytics so 
a very very thorough guide i don't think i mean i think you could glance at it first but it's one of those you may have to return several times over to really get the value from it and one thing that i want to kind of extract from this guide is what they describe are the different types of videos now this article was written or this guide was compiled in 2019 which i think is interesting and i tend not to be bothered about age you know because i think uh, people share their, their knowledge in different ways. I, I think we could still learn from people who wrote articles and books 10, 20 uh, years ago. Uh, interestingly, just as an aside, Roger, by accident I came across a presentation by Kotler about marketing. Do you remember in young days, <laughs> the book by Kotler? Absolutely. Now, I think the gentleman is obviously getting on a bit, but he was on stage, still passionate as ever about the wonders of marketing. And I thought, yeah, just because, you know, he kind of began all this uh, in the 80s, would, would I be right when he think first, so. yeah? We shouldn't dismiss it because of its uh, age. You know, not everything that was written just last week is better or newer. So what I want to do, Roger, is take you through the list of different types of videos and then in a way thank Kendall for the reminder and creating this incredible guide because it's much easier to read the guide than having to try and remember it all, but also wonder whether a couple of years on are there some newer videos that could be added to this guide. So number one, and I don't think there was a particular order in which she did it, um, explainer videos was listed as an important part of video marketing. Number two, how-to videos. Number three, sales and promo videos. Number four, thought leadership videos. Number five, webinars, both live and obviously recorded. Number six, case studies. Number seven, behind the scenes videos. Number eight, demo videos. And then number nine, email marketing videos where essentially you are sending somebody a personalized uh, message. So these were the nine types that felt uh, was important to have as part of video marketing. And then I, So these are great. And I wonder whether are there newer ones that we can introduce now or ones that have been missed completely that we should talk about? Yeah. I mean, I'm just glancing down the article now. As you say, it's incredibly detailed mm. and and looking at those I, i've never really thought of it like this before pascal but you know when i do my marketing made simple videos i guess those are they're sort of explainer videos i guess but they're more like answering a question type of, of video but i'm explaining maybe uh how, how to work through your offer or how to do research or, or that sort of thing so yeah it's an explainer video and i've never really i've never really thought of categorizing things before um but if you go go it to YouTube, then yeah, you can say, "Oh, that's an explainer video." That's an on somebody's unboxing. There's quite a lot of unboxing mm. goes on uh, on technical uh, website uh, on technical videos, isn't there? I guess they're a form of um, how to or a, a form of explainer. So yeah, it's interesting to see how these how she'd managed to effectively siphon it all down into into nine different types. And that takes a lot of thinking, you know that all mm. too well. So once again, I'm really, really pleased, bear in mind the way that I do, to have something I can refer to as a prompt. And so I've been reflecting on this article since I selected it. And I wonder whether in 2021, we could be adding something which is part of video marketing, which is don't forget to also be a guest on someone else's videos. So in a context of video marketing, I think we're going to be very, very careful not to be just a producer 
because I think where the guide may be, uh, what might get the impression, and that could have been the brief, of course, from Vidyard, is that it's all down to you. But actually, you can market yourself and your personal brand via video by being a guest on someone else's webinar or by being a guest on someone else's video podcast. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it's as a podcast producer myself, um, you know, I like to go on other people's podcasts. Um, in fact, it's, it's, it's nice to go on other people's podcasts and not have to worry about the sound levels being correct or, you know, all the usual things that you do when you're in production mode. Actually, just being a guest and, and allowing yourself to think about the message that you're putting across, rather than having to have one eye on on the on the levels or whatever it might be, is is really refreshing. And I think what I liked about you know this idea of looking at types of videos is because sometimes the term video is just a, a very vague, or even just live streaming. Roger, I mean, what does that mean, live streaming? Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, you could do any of those nine uh, options. So once again, uh, at first I wasn't sure, but uh, I'm now convinced. So congratulations to Kendall Walters for creating a fantastic guide, which I shall go back to on a regular basis. Excellent. Yep, I'm going to read it, see if there's anything that I've missed, which I probably have. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Roger, it is now time to move on to, I believe, you or one of your favorite segments of this show, the Marketing Tech and Apps. Now, in this segment, Roger and I share with you some distant discoveries, perhaps things that have been added to our shopping list, apps and techniques that can make life easier as a content creator. So, Roger, what have we got for us this week? Okay, this week it's all about filming yourself. So we're, we're carrying on right. with the video, video uh, message here. Now, interestingly, I was out and about um, this week. I took my camera into Edinburgh, absolutely glorious day, and I thought, I'm going to go and film a vlog. And it made me realize, you know, when you're on your own, there's only a certain amount of stuff that you can do with the two hands that you've got. So obviously, if you're walking along and you want to film yourself, then you've literally got to have almost like hold the camera in front of your face and walk along with one arm out. And it's very obvious to the person watching you what you're doing. Another alternative is to, if you've got a tripod, is to balance the camera on a wall or on a chair or a, a bench or something like that and, and obviously come down to the right level or whatever it is to get yourself in the shot. But what occurred to me um, when I was doing that is if you do that, if you do put the camera on a wall and stand and talk it is a very static shot because obviously I can't move myself around too much because the camera won't follow me it's effectively rooted to the spot and it did make me wonder is there anything is there any tech that for somebody who's on their own and I haven't got a friend who can help me with the filming is there any tech that can effectively substitute itself for an individual and believe it or not pascal there are things out there <laughs> that you can buy so the first thing i came across is and i don't know whether this is pronounced obs bot or obsbot but i will put the link in the show notes as normal now this one is actually actually has incorporated within it a camera and effectively you could put it on a tripod, you could balance it on a wall, but it's got some sort of sensor built into it and a load of AI computer programming so that it'll effectively follow you. So I think I imagine there's an element of face recognition in there. So I imagine I put it on my tripod and I start 
on the right and I start talking and I and I sort of start moving around and it will follow you absolutely precisely and it's got a built-in gimbal as well so it's nice and smooth and I thought actually do you know not only would it be nice when you're out and about like I was in Edinburgh the other day but if I was filming myself doing a talk on a stage or something or or just writing on a on a flip chart or something like that this thing could follow you around so you wouldn't have to be rooted on the spot so i got quite excited about this obs bot thing until i saw the price and of course it was uh, it was 300 plus 300 pounds so quite a lot of money and i guess the camera that's built into it isn't that powerful uh, so i thought okay what else can i find so i came across something else it's called get pivo now believe it or not it's a bit like obs bot except it hasn't got the camera bit in it's just the bit that tracks you and the clever thing is you effectively slot your iphone or android phone into the top of this thing but it's still got the ai sensor and it's still got the computer program and the face recognition or however it works and it and it basically rotates and follows you round. and and that one comes in at about 89 pounds which i felt for the uh, for what it does felt like a, a a better deal and of course your camera is bound to be a better camera your phone than the the thing with the OBS bot but it did get me wondering and I couldn't actually find something that I could actually put my big camera my Lumix camera into and is there anything out there that would effectively do the thing for the big camera i imagine if there is it's going to be even more expensive than the obs bot but it was a little bit of a weird one this week i i, I didn't deliberately go looking for this it was it was just something that occurred to me when i was out and about and i had my hands stuck out filming myself <laughs> but no you're right and and you know this is what's happening we, we've become the kind of solo you know content creation machine and anything that we can use to support us you know which is a tech and I can imagine this will improve and new options will, will come on the market. But yeah, I love the idea of being able to at least keep the interest going because you know the the scenery is moving or you keep track. It could be something that you record as one of your how-to videos where you want to move around or move to the whiteboard or display an item of sort and it just keeps you in frame, which I think is is a great idea. So now I love it. So, well, if you ever get to any one of those items, do bring it back to the marketing tech and app segment and let us know how you felt about it. I will indeed. I will indeed. So, well, my two options were born out of a conversation I had with a client recently. So I was working through their social media strategy, and they wanted to, of course, get more followers, more engagement, so on and so forth. And we discussed, of course, the infamous algorithm, Roger. And <laughs> I was explaining that what we're seeing is a decline of the like, comment, and share as as a behavior because novelty has worn off and people tend to just consume and move on. And the additional way which um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and all the others um, have a, you know, their sleeve to measure engagement is whether people stay uh, on your post or they move on you know, with, using their, their finger scrolling up and down the screen. So do they stay on the post and consume the content or do they move on to the next thing? And the longer they stay, the more likely you are to be rewarded with, with bigger reach. So we're discussing you know, what they could do. And they were not keen to do video content or they found that it wasn't always appropriate. So I said, oh, have you thought of using this app called Headliner? Now, Headliner, for people who are not familiar with it, allows you to do some graphics that has an audio file playing um, when you press the 
play icon and you can see the sound waves moving from um, I guess from right to left as if you're playing it you know on, on the timeline so they went to have a look at it and they came back and say oh I can't use headliner I said well why not you know to create what we now know to be called audiograms I said it's only for podcasters so I said no it's not so I went in and sure enough headliner have changed their lending page and their marketing and when you go on headliner.app so headliner.app Roger the lending page says this is the best tool to help you promote your podcast and they've seemed to moved away from creating animated graphics and so on and so forth. So, of course, my client dismissed himself altogether. I said, no, no, what are you going to do? This is for argument's sake, you've written this amazing guide about video marketing. You're going to quickly tell me, uh, you're recording your voice on your, on your phone or indeed using any of the apps that we mentioned on, on this segment, Roger. You're going to record a 60 to 120 second segment. Just give me a quick overview of what this is all about. We'll then upload it on the headliner. We choose a graphic, we choose an animation, and you have something that people are going to listen to for up to two minutes being rewarded, therefore, with you know the, the algorithm. And they said, well, I never thought of that. So two things. I wanted people to know the headliner is an amazing way to create interesting interactive content, but also warn people about the headlines. So headliner says, we're the best thing to promote your podcast. I want you as a content creator to almost ignore that and think out the box about the tools of the time or you can do for them. So similarly, I want people to know about getaudiogram.com. It does the similar, a similar thing, but more importantly, this time was about online presentations. So imagine a situation where um, somebody wants to animate and put, do something a bit more interesting with their online presentation for maybe a virtual conference or a webinar. And what they, they could do is use audiogram, getaudiogram.com, to just break away from the slide and have maybe a video, but just the audio playing and have a static image and just see the sound waves moving on the screen whilst maybe it's an um, extract from a famous person, it could be an extract from a customer, testimonials and that kind of things. But I was thinking a lot, as I've done this week over the last few weeks, Roger, about what can we do to make those webinars and virtual conference uh, kind of keynotes more interesting. And I think to add an audiogram to your presentation is going to be something quite interesting, even though Get Audiogram says we're here to help you promote your podcast. And I think we need to break through those kind of ma marketing uh, headlines and see what we can do for ourselves as content creators. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I I was having a conversation with a client of my own this week, and I came back to it's almost like one of the the new rules of presenting, um, and because of this online environment that we're in, I think that something has to change every every seven to ten minutes. So if you go on a webinar or an online conference, you cannot stand or sit and talk for 45 minutes because people will reach for their iPhones and their Android devices or their iPads and they'll start doing emails or they'll be distracted by something else. You've got to grab their attention. And therefore, every seven to 10 minutes, something has to change. The scene, you're either suddenly sitting at your desk and then bang, you're outside by the harbour. Or in this example, you switch to an audiogram or you switch to a different video and it's that jolt isn't it Pascal it's that oh something's changed this is new gets the attention of the viewer 
back to your presentation. And unless you do that, you are going to lose them. Now, obviously, engaging speakers might not lose might not lose people as quickly, but it's just the fact of online presentations that our attention spans are lower. So I love these ideas for building them into online presentations to keep people's attention grabbed. No, thank you very much. And and for our viewers and listeners, my this is my point today. There will be content creation apps that says this is the way to use us. I would say ignore that and just be yeah. inventive and just make it make it your own. Well, Roger, as always, all this is only possible thanks to pioneers and inventors from the recent past and perhaps you know even longer. So let's move on to this week in history. In 1876, three days after filing a US patent application for his telephone, Alexander Graham Bell makes the first phone call in history to his assistant with the sentence, Mr. Watson, come here, I want you. Right, well in 1894, for the first time since its invention by pharmacist John Pemberton, Coca-Cola is sold in glass bottles. These were reusable bottles until the iconic contour bottle was introduced in 1915. In 1933, journalist Robert Trout coins the phrase fireside chat to describe Roosevelt's first radio broadcast to American households, 90% of which owned a radio at the time. Oh, Roger, listen to this. In 1978, The Incredible Hulk, starring Bill Bixby as David Banner and Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk, premieres on CBS. The series would run for 80 episodes across five seasons until May 1982. I remember it well. In 1983, the IBM personal computer XT goes on sale for $4,995. It features an Intel 8088 processor, a 10 megabyte hard drive, 128K of RAM, 40K ROM, a keyboard, and one double-sided 360K floppy disk drive. A bargain then. So in 1985, the first Internet domain name, Symbolics.com, is registered for free. By 1995, domain names would no longer be free of charge, and the registration would cost $100 for two years. In 1993, MTV airs the first episode of the animated series Beavis and Butthead, <laughs> which will go on to become the network's highest rated, much to the delight of its young viewers and the despair of their parents. In 2005, Google acquires Urchin, one of the most popular solutions for website traffic analysis, which later became Google Analytics. Can we talk about The Incredible Hulk? We must, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know, this is this is incredible. Um, I mean, it's frightening that it was back in the 70s. Um, I remember loving this series, absolutely loving this series. Bill Bixby had been in something before. I think it was called The Magician or something like that, where he was a, a magician who was also a detective. But this is the, this is the role that he was, he was um, known for. And I actually used to record episodes of The Incredible Hulk on cassette tape so that I could actually listen to them later. So this was a series that I was so into, and it was before video recorders became uh, commercially available. So the only way that you could effectively relive these episodes, apart from repeats, which weren't that frequent in those days, was to record them on a cassette audio tape and then listen to the sounds and obviously imagine in your head what, what was going on. And the other thing I remember is that every single episode of The Incredible Hulk, he always turned into the Hulk twice, usually once 
towards the beginning of the episode and then once towards the end of the episode when his second transformation would usually tie up the plot <laughs> mm. well the first one usually was he would get into trouble and then the second transformation was to essentially save you know yes. people and 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 you know move on but what was interesting about the incredible hulk there was some elements of the um, the fugitive where he had to keep moving on whilst he's being yes. chased by the authorities and in the process help those in need but yeah it was, it was just fantastic and i didn't know this but um uh, later i was reminded that it began actually as a uh, almost like two films as a as a pilot and then the series were uh, approved and then in 1982 that was cancelled and he came back almost 10 years later for a couple of films which really nobody has seen because it just wasn't shared and released you know properly and then for me david banner uh, was you know the uh, sorry bill bixby was david banner and I don't think that I even particularly liked the the version with um, oh goodness I've forgotten them and the actor now, but you know before they move on to the full Marvel franchise, um, it took because he was just so synonymous with it, wasn't he? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Bill Bixby was David Banner, <laughs> absolutely. Don't make me angry, Mister McGee. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Mm. <laughs> I was really quite taken by this idea of the term fireside chat yes. was invented by a journalist to almost give people an image of the president as he was talking via the radio because they couldn't quite, well, they couldn't see him and they would, they may have you know, mistakenly imagined him at the desk you know, in the, the Oval Office, but actually want people to feel like they were engaged at their level by sitting comfortably next to the fire and talking to them in that way. Uh, it's just incredible. It's just, I, I was, I wasn't aware of it. No, and and you know, a couple of weeks ago on Two Geeks in the Marketing podcast, we were talking about using sound effects in audio productions, weren't we? Mm. And 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 it did make me wonder: would they have gone as far as to actually create the sound? of a fire crackling away in the background just to, again, enhance the audio sensation of the people listening to it. Talking of audio sensation, so you mentioned a moment ago how you used to record the audio. Um, so did you use, like me, one of those portable cassette player where you had to press the red button and play at the same time and capture the sound from your the microphone that was in built into the the cassette player. Oh yes, I used to have what the way I used to do it, Pascal, <laughs> is I used to put a chair that I took out of the dining room next to the television so that I could put the cassette player on the chair so it was at the right height to get the um, audio coming out of the television speaker. And yes, it was then press the play and the record button at the same time and of course because the uh, incredible hulk was usually about a, an hour long um i would either wait for the adverts to come on and then stop recording until the adverts had finished or i would um, have to flip the tape over before the um, end because the tape would usually last about 45 minutes on each side yeah, this is how I created one of my first uh, medley of uh, opening credits of my favorite series. <laughs> so you had you know, an incredible hug. You had the the A team at the time. You had obviously things like the Fall Guy and Starsky and Hutch and so on. So they're all there. I remember once I've been waiting for the series for an entire week because just for our younger viewers and listeners, you had to wait a week for the next episode. There was no binging then. So I'd, and I kind of positioned my um, cassette player. A press record and my younger sister walks in and say what are you doing so you had her <laughs> voice 
doing the credits. So, you know, I was quite annoyed and probably chased around the house with a cushion or something. But, <laughs> um, but these were the days, you know, where you, that, that's where it was available to you to be creative. Oh, it's, it brings back memories. It brings back memories. Those those old cassette tapes that used to, I used to buy them by the bucket load. Used to be able to get them from um, Woolworths for about. Used to be able to get about fifty cassette tapes in a great big box, and I just used to record so much stuff. Used to drive my parents mad because there was always a chair and a, <laughs> and a cassette player in, in front of the television. Oh dear! But uh, this we used those as well. If you remember, uh, to um, load a program onto your Commodore sixty four or whichever, you know, because you had the cassette, but you had a choice between sixty minutes or ni ninety minutes. Absolutely right. My goodness, we never think of cassette tapes anymore. It's interesting, isn't it, that vinyl has made a big comeback, yeah. and a lot of people are buying vinyl records anymore. But I guess, I guess, there's just no need. There's no nostalgia that people have for cassette tapes at all. <laughs> I still have two boxes full of cassette tapes when I used to record Prince, Prince concerts on TV, by which time I had upgraded to a proper you know, kind of sound system where you could plug to the back of the TV so the sound was much, much better and reliable. And I've been looking to convert those into MP3 so you can buy uh, literally a cassette player that then you can link to your computer to have MP3 files. You know, I, I bet there are probably some people who are listening to Two Geeks and a Marketing <laughs> Podcast who have completely lost the plot now of, as to what we're talking about. So if any of you are listening to the show and you don't know what a cassette tape is, then Google is your friend. <laughs> Absolutely. And let me remind you that uh, for, you know, Roger and I, when we were teenagers, you know, to be able to show and express our affection to, you know, a, a potential partner, we had to create a mixtape and make sure they was all kept carefully crafted with all, all the different artists and songs carefully written and sometimes we could go as far as even drawing on the cover or painting something before we could give it to someone that uh, was special to us. Yes, indeed, I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking of creation and just to kind of move on from this subject, let's move on to the creator's shoutouts. Yes. Now, in this segment, Roger and I gave somebody who is adding value to their community by creating amazing content a bit of a shout out and put up on the spotlight. So, Roger, who have you got for us this week? Okay, this week, Pascal, I'm going to do a shout out for a gentleman called Neil Fellows, and he runs the Health and Wellness Club, which is a series of YouTube videos. Now, as you know, I have a side hustle as a fitness instructor, um, although I haven't really done much fitness instructing for the last 12 months because most of the gyms have been closed. I think I got about six weeks back, uh, back in September and October before the lockdown came again and, and they closed the clubs down. Now, as a fitness instructor, I've always been conscious of what I eat, and and my weight and my fitness levels and i have to say probably like quite a lot of people that over the last three months especially this third lockdown i've just sort of let myself go a bit i got a bit fed up um probably you know started eating a bit more comfort food than i should have done and probably put on a little bit of weight and it 
it needs addressing. And sometimes I'll look at the likes of Joe Wicks and I just think, no, no, not for me. You know, you're too nice to look at. You're too healthy. You're too fit. You're too thin. Or, or, or some other, you know, ladies that are jumping about in Lycra. It's just not for me. And what I like about what Neil's doing is it's a normal guy like you or me talking very authoritatively about everything health and wellness so he does some episodes about nutrition some about exercise some about chocolate some about nuts whatever it might be and he goes into quite a lot of detail or sometimes has doctors on and professors and experts nutritionalists whatever and i just thought it's a really different approach to what i would call them like the celebrity fitness person like joe wicks and i'm not taking anything away from somebody like joe wicks you know fantastically popular but i think for some sometimes you just need to have somebody you can associate yourself with so have a look at what neil's doing if you feel like me and that you've maybe hit a bit of a wall during lockdown and i it, it motivated me watching a few of these videos over over the last couple of weeks as always we'll put the link to the youtube channel in the show notes thank you very much and i would agree i think that's why it's so great to have that diversity of characters and and passionate individuals to find the one that you can connect with talking of connection i wanted to bring back to the creators shout out a lady called tiana wilson by she's the founder of talking business she's also known as the getting stuff done coach and productivity expert and i wanted to highlight her resources on her website the you will know that it can be tricky back to what you're saying about the, the impact of lockdown it can be tricky to feel productive and to use your time wisely if you're working from home if um, you know you have also if you're part of a project with other individuals and so on so what i liked about her resources they're not too many so you can really get your head around them but they're all designed to help you be more productive and make good use of your time but also as you'll see the moment to make good use of someone else's time and contributions so of course one of the resources would be your weekly planner and you can download that for free from her website there's no need to sign up to anything she also has a lovely project mind map so if you're asked to do something that more recently and because of lockdown and because of you know what we can do working remotely and sometimes having to kind of share your your desk or computer with somebody else you can lose track of what this is all about so this one is a lovely way to capture the key elements of a new project and you can refer to that uh, at your at your heart's content she also would recommend that if you're working from home and you're struggling with um again productivity and attention to details use her rac template which is record analyze change she wants you to record how you use your time over the course of a week then at the end of the week analyze and then change anything that doesn't work for you so it's a lovely template she also has which i think is one of the important ones she has the chase list so what she's saying is that often we don't work in isolation. We have others that either need to do something for us or we have to do something for them. So to have what she called the checklist, when you know when you're going to be chased for something or when you need to chase somebody and to have a document dedicated to that is very, very helpful. And she also has obviously a very helpful meeting notes template. So uh, just in the context of, again, you know, time management and sometimes needing a bit of support to be able to concentrate better, be more focused, I wanted to give those resources a bit of a shout out today roger 
Oh, th- th- that sounds really good. You know, the chase list is just genius. It's, I mean, I, that's one of the things that I'm hopeless at. Uh, so I'm definitely going to be diving in and um, getting my hands on these free resources. Always love the stuff that Tiana does. Uh, I, I was a speaker, as you have been, at one of her talking point of business um, events a few years back, and I love the quirkiness of it. So really nice to be reacquainted with Tiana. Super. Now, Roger Edwards. Yes. Can I ask you and our viewers and listeners to get comfortable, get your favorite drink and your popcorn. It's time for film marketing. Yeah. Right, Roger. Now, a few weeks ago, we chose a movie. We probably had the longest title, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And today... We've chosen a movie with the shortest title ever, Two Letters, Us, by Jordan Peele. One of the most scary movies I've seen for quite some time. It is quite an uncomfortable watch, isn't it? You know, it's um, it's one of those films which genuinely, genuinely scares you. Um, and we're going to have to be very, very careful as we talk about this film today, Pascal, aren't we? Because there are certain plot twists within the film, which if we talk about them too much, it will give it away. Spoilers, I guess. And and, and anybody who hasn't watched the film yet, who wants to watch it as a result of our discussion, we don't want to ruin it for you. So we will have to dance around the plot points a little bit. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's an uncomfortably scary film. Um, I suppose the theme starts off almost like a, a home invasion type film, doesn't it? And let's face it, there are lots of those around at the moment. Uh, but this is this takes it to so much more detail and so much more depth that yeah, it really does have you on edge quite a lot. For me, what was interesting, and we will talk about the marketing in a moment, and how actually, as to your point, they kept things very low-key and didn't reveal too much, but this idea of home invasion, this idea also of you know the, the, the way in which light was being used and sound and, and the movement from you know those invaders, but also how it switches suddenly. It's almost like, and we'll talk about this in a moment, a tribute to many other horror movies and, and the horror genre coming from different cultures, including Japanese horror movies. But um, I've seen my fair share of horror movies, and it's been a while since I've been made uneasy and unnerved to the degree that Jordan Peele did in this one. So it begins as a kind of uh, family story. They're going for a break, as parents, two children. They're going to Santa Cruz. We learn that it so happens to be the mother's childhood um, kind of town and, and city. And I have to say, the moment I saw the boardwalk, the amusement park and the roller coaster, I said, oh, no. And I must ask you a question, Roger. Don't you know, those don't those characters watch horror films too? Because if they've seen Lost Boys or any of the others, they would know that this is not going to be a good place. At the moment I see a very old and ancient kind of roller coaster, I know that you're in for trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that I immediately realised <laughs> by watching this film. Now, let, let, let's be clear. It's set in Santa Cruz 
actually Santa Cruz the town, which exists, it's in California, and the boardwalk with the giant dipper roller coaster, and I think that was built in something ridiculous like 1925. That roller coaster is nearly 100 years old. In the Lost Boys, as you said, Pascal, it was the same town, but I think they called it something else. It was called Santa Clara. Correct, but it yes. Was, it, was, it was definitely Santa Cruz. And, and I associate Santa Cruz with the Lost Boys, you know, because I've never been there myself. When I see Santa Cruz in, in vlogs, as, it often, as I often see it on, um, on YouTube, my immediate thought is, it's Lost Boys. So when I started watching this film, I was immediately put into horror mode, even <laughs> before, you know, we got into any of the horror content, because, they're, oh, they're in Santa Cruz, something's definitely going to go horribly wrong here. That reminds me a bit, you know, when you watch Scream, the very first one, and one of the characters says, you know, horror films are like a survival guide. If you watch horror films, you will stay alive. So I would highly recommend for the characters who end up being in horror stories, you should watch more horror films. You'll know what to do. So it begins <laughs> as this family outing, and they, they have lovely neighbors. They live in a lovely area. And the, the, the son essentially has an encounter that triggers a chain of events which leads to the intruders uh, arriving in, in, in their homes. And from that moment on, it really changes gear completely. But as far as classifying this as a horror film, this adjective or kind of description is warranted because the, the scares, the violence, the gore, everything, whilst a very clever story is being told, uh, it's, it's all there really. Yeah, I'm not sure whether I'm right about this, Pascal. But um, is this a, is this a um, an example of something which has a genre shift in it? It almost feels as if that part way through the film, it almost almost goes from what being one thing to being another. Um, the Descent's another film that does that. Mm -hmm. It starts off yeah. as people potholing, and and you feel that it's all about them being trapped underground, and then all of a sudden it turns into a monster movie. You know. On the face of it, this is a family in trouble, you know, with family issues going on holiday to try and sort themselves out. And then, bang, it turns into a full-scale scary thing. Very so. And, and every time you think, well, you, you have a view that the movie is not going to go too far, it actually goes that far. You know, in terms of uh, being a horror film, you can imagine that some of the people don't, don't make it for very long. And and sometimes you go, well, no, they're going to be fine, and they're not. So what Jordan Peele has done is he has created a, um, a story that is very clever. I mean, this is a film you can watch more than once, in fact. It's also, I think, in its own way, an homage to other horror movies that he's enjoyed himself. But he's also exploring, as film directors would do, his own fears, which he has shared in you know, in, in the chat shows and so on. And for me, the, the one thing that it explores really well is obviously the fear of the dark in general, something that our ancestors had to deal with, no doubt, because back in the days of living in caves, I'm sure there was some pretty unpleasant stuff out there, crawling about in the dark. Um, crawling, the movements and the motions um, of the intruders is really get, got under my skin a, a lot. And... I know that won't be revealing too much because it's part of the marketing, but the use of the scissors 
not just as weapons but also a, just an item to use and to just hear the the snapping and snipping of, of the blades to use to threaten the family <laughs> yeah and, and and again the the intruders are all wearing if i remember rightly almost like overalls aren't they all wearing blue overalls if i remember rightly and and it, it it just it just creates this sort of it's like a, the uniform of the intruder um it reminded me of some doctor who monsters from the past called autons that used to wear overalls as well uh yeah incredibly creepy and uh, it, it's 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 a different sort of horror film, isn't it, Pascal? I mean, it, it doesn't really fit into any specific character that, ca- uh, category. That's where that was where I was going with this whole genre shift thing. It, it it's not really a monster movie. It's not a slasher film. It's not a. It, it just seems to have elements of quite a lot of different things, and maybe that's why it makes you feel uncomfortable because you you're just not quite sure where it's going to go. Yeah, it makes you uneasy all the way. And and just to say that, of course, it, it does celebrate the work of previous filmmakers and horror filmmakers. It's not distracting. You don't spend the whole movie going, oh, here's, here's a little nod to Jaws. Here's another one to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's afterwards that it comes back. So I didn't feel that was distracted by watching the film. But it is incredibly... It's a very tense psychological horror film to, to me, uh, and and the ending is is just quite quite incredible, and you keep rooting for the characters. But in terms of um, you know the, the way it was done, thinking that the intruders very very quickly, uh, as it is part of the marketing, we can share that, are revealed as the doppelgangers of the family. So now you end up in a situation where you have to fight yourself. It, it's just incredibly clever as in a way to torment your character but also your audience <laughs> yeah yeah and and as i say there's you know, we've already discussed darkness is scary uh dop there's something scary about doppelgangers as well isn't it fighting yourself and you know that whole idea of opening the front door and you're and you're staring at yourself that is that is genuinely creepy, uh, genuinely creepy. So, so what about the marketing? It's a little bit low key. I would I th- I actually thought. I think it was intentional. intentional. I'm going to say it was intentional. Two things. It was really fast. I mean, people heard about the movie vaguely in around December 2018 with yep. a teaser poster, which actually was very different to the other posters. And then, literally, the movie was released in March of 2019. So, I, I, I'm going to say. It was done on purpose. I think it was exactly what they wanted because they wanted word of mouth uh, to, to kind of play the, the big part of marketing. So, yes, you're right. It, it was the usual, the posters, the website, the, the social media and so on. But I think people didn't know anything much until the uh, South by Southwest Festival where the actual trailer was revealed. And then elements of the story, but not everything. Um, I think what was revealed really well was the music, which I think we need to just acknowledge the sound design, the scissors, again, they, they play a part in everything, and the doppelgangers were revealed. And they kind of go, I want to see this because I want to know how this family is going to get out of this one because this looks really quite quite creepy. And, and already in the trailer, Roger, they revealed the way in which the doppelgangers moved. There was something really unnerving, uh, almost like they were insects type thing so another thing another fear from our ancestors big creepy crawlies, creepy coming crawlies. Into the cave. yeah 
Yeah, no, the music was was pretty good, wasn't it? I mean, again, it, it added to the whole soundscape that they've created with this mm. film. You've already said the scissors and that sort of thing. And and they they actually released some of those tracks in advance, didn't they, as part of the marketing of the film. And that's that's quite interesting because it's not usually what you would think they would do. I mean, the music, well, okay, we'll hope somebody buys the soundtrack if they've been to the cinema and enjoyed the film. But to actually lead with the music as part of your marketing is quite an interesting approach. And another interesting decision about the marketing, they only produced and released one trailer. Yeah. That was it. Now, you and I have reviewed by now 29 films, and all of them have had different trailers different length, different audiences, different reasons. And this one was, no, no, that's all you're going to get, that one trailer with all the different kind of key elements of, of the story. That's all you're going to get. Yeah, and of course, we've tried very hard not to give too much away in this review here. Uh, maybe maybe they just thought, you know, we can't put out a tr- more than one trailer. And even the trailer they put out wasn't a particularly long trailer because if they if they actually blew some of the shocks in the trailer, then they would take away quite a lot of what makes the film get so scary. So quite a bit. I, guess they, I guess they had to really be careful with what they put in the trailer. There was one very interesting marketing or PR stunt, you could argue. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the music a moment ago, and we know that Jordan Peele, who, by the way, was also the, the director of, um, get, is it Get Me Out? The, the get first Me Out, yeah. Oh, man, what, what a film. But, of course, his background as a producer and his many connections in the world of music, he brought that kind of hip-hop culture into, into the film quite a bit. But also what he did then was to, to invite fan art, to help promote the film with a collaboration with um, Giphy. That's genius, isn't it? Oh, that's I, I just love that. Again, it, it's cre- playing to people's creativity uh, and, and just it, it, it's, it's brings people in, doesn't it? It creates community and it creates buzz. And, and that's, what we, that's what draws people into uh, want to watch the film. So people could submit fan art with a publisher with Giphy based purely on the music, yeah, purely on the trailer or after they've seen the film. And if they've seen the film, what they could do, Roger, is use the hashtag us first, as in to symbolize that you've been one of the few that's in the movie first. So again, this element of complicity with the audience is, I think, a lesson in, in its own right, um, which I think we could try and extrapolate to the world of business, everything that we do, to give people that privileged position to be uh, seeing it first, but also then to contribute to the marketing with fun art reviews. I'd imagine that if you've been one of the first, you'd be all over YouTube or, or podcasting to kind of sing the praises of a great story. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, at the end of the film, there is an incredible twist, which again, we're not going to give away because definitely <laughs> genuinely, you do need to watch watch the film. And, and I have to say, Pascal, it's such an incredible twist uh, and they pull it off so well. Uh, and it still leaves a little bit of ambiguity in my mind. I had, I've actually watched this film twice quite close together simply because I wanted to experience the twist again quite soon after the first time I watched it just almost to make sure that I'd got it and thought oh my god I've got to watch that again seriously got to watch that again just to make sure that I've got it right 
you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I do, I do know. Uh, it's one of those films that um, it's too early to be called a classic. Of course, it was only yeah. released a couple of years ago, but it's on its way to becoming a classic. Uh, uh, two things: I think people who love movies in general will want to watch it over and over again because, to begin with, it's beautifully filmed. We've, we've spoken about the music and the sound design, but also the story is just so so gripping. And, and I think there'll be things you'll miss anyway the first time. But I reckon if you're into filmmaking, then you're in for a treat as well because clearly he knew his stuff as a producer. He could use his producer, but now as a director as well, he's reached, shown his, his worth. In fact, that was interesting. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why he was a, very happy to be interviewed as much as he did leading up to the release of the film, but also where when he was interviewed, he did spend a lot of time talking about the making of the film uh, as well as the characters and the storyline and how good you know the film is. Yeah, absolutely right, absolutely right. I think um, if you haven't seen this film, you and you're listening to the show today, just just get it wherever you can find it. Netflix, um, Amazon, wherever it is, buy it if you need to. But it's really well worth it. And turn the lights off, <laughs> or at least turn the lights down, and get ready to be scared. <laughs> so mr roger edwards this was episode number 31 thank you very much for being such an amazing co-host and taking us through the different segments to our viewers and listeners thank you so much for your support please leave comments and suggestions in usual places in particular for the content spotlight and film marketing section until the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Bye for now.